Yo, what's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of a Hard Knock Podcast. Yo, I don't know why I always do that. I just like the fact I got that soundboard over here. But um, yeah, y'all, we back here again another week. Yo, um, what is this? Episode 10. Episode 10, y'all. So like, you know, we out here really doing it. So I um. I am really excited, y'all. I was actually, I was, you know, when you're doing this kind of stuff, you got to have a few ideas in the can so you know what to talk about and that you have some stuff. But I was like, oh, what do I want to talk about today? I'm, I ain't going to hold y'all. Like, I have to, I'm doing my best to make sure I get y'all content every single week, right? And so um, some of these weeks, I don't know what to talk about. But there's stuff that I've been doing, stuff that I've been thinking about. My brain is always racing. I, like last week, I was talking about all the books that I've been reading. I even read some more books um, recently. I've just been, my brain just is taking all this stuff in, taking all this stuff in. One of the books that I talked about last week was um, Steal Like an Artist, which I've had this book for a long time. And it's all screwed up. Like, I'm, I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly what happened. I think it was when I let Amelia borrow this several years ago when we were in grad school together and either she got it wet or I got it wet but like man like the book's all messed up but it's still legible so that's all that matters but this is I was talking about this book last week and like I mentioned last week I'm part of a book club for this book so we went back through it um made it like halfway through and one of the things that we were talking about was like how we um how it's good to get back to the analog like feeling like like movement part of creativity and how that helps with so many different things and something that i was talking to them about a lot was how i keep my um my little notepad with me um i've always had notepads i still like i Y'all see me with the, with the iPad too, with my with my iPad Pro. I like to sketch on here, but still, and I got it. I even have like a screen protector on my iPad that makes it feel like I'm writing on paper with my um with the pen, but you know, or with the Apple Pencil. But like, you know, I still nothing beats just having a little pad in in your back pocket that you can pull out while you're on the train or whatever. And it's good to help me get like ideas out. I, like I said, I've been reading a lot of books. It's, I, it's been good for me to like jot down stuff that I've been learning. Um, you know, uh, a couple nights ago, I couldn't even sleep that well. So what I did was I went down to the city. It's like two, three in the morning, but I just couldn't sleep. I just went out and I was just like, I don't know if y'all can see this from see this from here. But I was just like sketching the buildings downtown. It's therapeutic, you know what I'm saying? And it's a good way to take a break, like a mental break. Something that I do sometimes when I'm when I'm really digging through on an idea, but I'm stuck, is I will go ahead and just like step away and start sketching, right? The other thing that I do is I got my whiteboard in my office. <clears throat> I like to stand up. And like be with sticky notes and and all of that, and that really helps my like creative process and my my just process of of going through things. And something that I was thinking about 
lately since the past episode, um, how I talked about, you know, um, that chop wood carry water kind of thing. And I was like, wow, like, I wonder how many things there are in our life that's kind of like that chopping wood and carry water of like, they're just like essential things that you do that, that if you do with care every day will make a true impact in your life or what you're trying to accomplish. And, and there are things that are easily things that you can easily forget about, like little rituals or things. But if you consistently do them over the course of your life, they will, you know, reap real benefits. And then I was thinking about like in the context of, you know, building businesses, um, what what is that for for business right as as a owner um as someone starting a business and you know um i was thinking about just like how product market fit something i talk about a lot on here is a journey right it's a journey of failures as um yuri um um levine levine i was pronouncing his name all wrong last episode but yuri levine was saying about, um, you know, reaching the journey for reaching product market fit is a journey of failures. And you got to learn to accept that and you got to be okay with that. But I was like, man, how can we turn that journey of failures into a, um, into like a chop wood, carry water type of scenario where it's stuff where you pretty much just make a practice of, consistently doing experimentation on your product or your service to get it to the point that eventually, and you know, this is a marathon, not a race, but the thing is, is that the one thing that's going to, that that's going to definitely increase your chances of hitting product market fit, which is so hard to do is through rapid experimentation. So how can we make that something that's just like a day to day, this is what we do. You know, this is just what we do. You know what I'm saying? How do we make that a part of our practice? And so I came up with a hypothesis of a process that I'm actually, it's all about experimentation, right? <laughs> my, my product that I want to be able to, to give, like the, pro, like the main problem that I'm trying to solve with my business is how to help marginalized um, entrepreneurs build businesses that scale and drive impact. And the, one of the key things there is around product market fit. That's a key part of the journey. It's a very tough part of the journey, right? So if I can focus my energy on how to best solve that, that's literally like the same thing. It's kind of like a, a cyclical kind of loop kind of situation. And so yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's why I was kind of sketching out and just and just writing out here in my book. And I just kind of want to share with y'all my hypothesis of a process to um, create a daily, weekly, monthly process of experimentation that'll help you bridge that gap. And this is what makes sense to me. And like I said, this is a hypothesis. I'm putting this into work with my actual tr practice and, and how I'm doing things. And just like any, this is my MVP, essentially. I'm telling y'all the secret sauce for my MVP, which is okay, because MVPs, the end product is never identical to the MVP because I'm bound to get something wrong. You're bound to get something wrong. And that's the whole point of this work. So 
the question I asked myself was, how do I make experimentation my chop wood carry water? How do I make experimentation the day-to-day things that if I focused on um, doing it with the right amount of care, um, attention to detail, perseverance, um, dedication, uh, 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 you know, with the right level of discipline over the course of my career, course of my life, course of this journey will help me eventually reach the goal of product market fit without me focusing too much on product market fit. And this is, this is how I thought about it. So this, um, a lot of these concepts are a, um, they're, they're shaped by my experience in the product management design thinking space, um, UX design space, but I also grasp from some concepts from Uri Levine, from um, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution, and also from Alex Osterwilder, who wrote the book. I mentioned him before. He wrote the book Business Model Design. He also wrote Value Proposition Design, but it's also a lot of key insights that comes from his book, Testing Business Ideas. Um, if you're interested at all about taking a experimentation approach to your business, which I recommend, um, it's definitely, that's a really great resource. I'm actually thinking of doing a series of several different videos based on the different, um, like methodologies and, and different, uh, types of experiments that he shares in that book, as well as another book that I have called, um, validating business ideas and I'm seeing it up there, but it's too far away for me to be able to read the, um, author's name and I'm bugging out about that. But yeah, so I just want to say just like still like an artist, no ideas are completely originally my own. This is me formulating from my experiences and what I've read and what I've, what I've seen to come up with a hypothesis of how I, how I think we can tackle making a full life process of, of frequent experimentation within your business. And the first thing that it starts with is a funnel. <laughs> and I know what some of y'all are thinking, oh my goodness, this guy's going to try to sell me on funnels. He's going to try to get me a ClickFunnels account. He's probably got an affiliate link. Don't worry. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about, I am talking about that, but I'm actually talking about a longer form kind of funnel where at the top of the funnel, just like what you typically think of is your um, cold audience, the people who, whose problems you're trying to solve, but they don't know that you exist. They might not even know that they have the problem that you're trying to solve for them. And so that's at the top of the funnel, as you would typically think. But at the bottom of the funnel, what you normally would think is like the sale. But I'm actually talking about the bottom of the funnel being them actually achieving the goal that your product or service is supposed to help them do. And then a step after that, which is them coming back and using your product again, using your service again. Now, for depending on the type of product or service that you offer, the length of that funnel is going to be very different, right? Right. 
it might be it might be a quick like you do one quick thing for them and then they come right back and it's quick cycles or it might be that you help them over a process and then you finally help them get to the end that's kind of how my work is with consulting is that you know they go from cold audience they they might come across my podcast they might come across whatever maybe not they they might get an ad from me or or something and then they eventually get into my funnel as like a potential customer. And then, you know, and all these different steps happen. And then I get a consultation with them. And then once we once we do the consultation, then I do discovery with them. And I, you know, and then and then I, even after discovery, they haven't even reached their goal. I give them some choices. And then I, and then I'm like, do we want to sign for another contract to go through implementation? And, you know, all these. So for me, it's very long going from cold audience to achieving that goal and then do you repeat with me right and so the thing is the reason why i'm taking that full form is that product market fit is measured by whether or not you help your customer achieve the goal that they're trying to achieve one is what they call conversion and then two retention whether or not they come back so what I want, what I'm thinking is we actually take all the steps that go from cold audience member to then, and we plot them all out. We don't even have to do it in a funnel, so to speak, but we could plot them step by step. You know, I, I like visuals. So I, I even drew like the different boxes showing the different steps. And then what we need to do is we need to figure out a way to understand the churn rate between each of those steps. And what's the churn rate? What does that mean? Well, it's the opposite of retention. It's the amount of people that make it to one step, but don't make it to the following one. What's that rate of people that fall off between step one and step two, between step two and step three? What's the rate of, of people that um, end up falling off? And then what you can do is you can prioritize you can prioritize what sections of your funnel you want to focus on and do experiments on based off of the severity of the churn rate, like how high is the churn rate for the different areas. And that's how you know how to focus on which areas. Um, and what you can do with that, too, is you could go ahead and create a roadmap, a now, next, later roadmap, where on a now, next, later roadmap, that means there are three different columns um, if you think of a Kanban board, something like that, it's, it's, it's a lot like that where there's one column that's called now, and there should typically only be like one item in there, especially if you're a team of one. So you got a pretty much larger team where you could spread it out. Maybe you could do up to three, but it really should be like one thing that you're focused on now. Then in the next column is what's next right what's the next thing that we're going to do once we're done with the thing that we're working on now okay and still shouldn't be too many things there and then what's later what comes after that and then that's like everything else that's left and that's a roadmap that's a very high level roadmap to show what you're focused on today what you're going to focus on tomorrow what you're going to focus what's set to be focused on after that and this is a living document a living thing that changes as these churn rate changes um churn rates change and 
all the all what other factors that be, could be coming into play. And um, one thing to think about if you if you if you have a new service, right, um, or you have a new offering out there, the first step is going from cold audience to um, to warm audience, right? Now, let's say that like you don't have any of that happening. Well, guess what? Then maybe the first thing that you need to focus on here now is understanding how to turn a cold audience uh, member into a warm audience member. And that's, you know, well, we'll get into how you'll start trying to figure this out at all the different levels. But that that calls into question things like, is this a problem that actually exists? for a large population. Do people care about this problem? That kind of stuff. But once you know the section within your funnel, then you um, then you actually can focus in on that and do what I like to call assumption mapping. And assumption mapping is, we make a lot of assumptions in business and life in general. We make a lot of assumptions around what we think customers want. Typically, our assumptions are based off of our experiences, off of our insight. But the thing is, is that we are a really good representation of one customer, one user. We can't represent the whole because not everybody has our experiences, thinks the way we do, cares about the things that we care about. And in order for your business to have product market fit, it needs to have a large enough audience of people who have that problem and care about solving it. Right. And so that's just one assumption. There are several other kinds of assumptions about how you how they think about solving a problem, how they, um, you know, how how they think something should work, you know, any cultural things, all these different things. Right. And I like to take these assumptions and turn them into hypotheses that we can test. And the way that we start to uncover these assumptions is we look at that section on that funnel Say that we're uh, going back to the example of talking about turning a cold audience into a warm audience. We can ask ourselves to help brainstorm around this, our assumptions. What would need to be true? Okay. What would need to be true to go from being a cold audience member to a warm audience member? Okay. And... And just start brainstorming what things would need to be true. Well, they would. Well, first, we would need to have a population of people who care about the problem that that I'm trying to solve for them. They would have to feel led to um, click on whatever thing it is that you're putting out there. Right. Feel compelled and feel compelled. So, yeah, feel led or feel compelled. Uh, we'll have to be get. are we getting in front of them? All these different things. Ask yourself and try to come up with as many things as possible around what things, what would have to be true in order to turn a cold audience member to a warm audience member. Let's also give another example. <clears throat> That's a little bit further down the line. Um, let's say that uh, you are... Um, What's a what's a good business example? What's something that typically that people can relate to? Uh, 
let's say that you sell a course, right? Um, and let's say that you you have a let's say that you have a lot of people buying your course, but you don't actually have them signing into the course and taking the class, right? What would need to be true to turn a person? What what would have to be true? to turn a customer that purchased the course into a customer that took the course? What would need to be true? And then answer answer to yourself all these different different answers, and those are the assumptions. Those are your underlying assumptions around what needs to happen. And now what you can do is you can take those assumptions and start to prioritize them, or those hypotheses, and start to prioritize them. And what I think you should do is prioritize them based off of put them on a two by two matrix um, or a two by two prioritization matrix. I talked about this in some episodes before based off of the level of, of importance. So how important is it that this thing be true? And what, how much evidence do you have from no evidence to strong evidence? And so if we're going to talk about that, so some evidence might be maybe you read a report about something online that, you know, that's, that's some odd, that's some evidence as opposed to not knowing at all, there's nothing to back it up. Some strong evidence might be some observational research that you've seen for this, um, for this type of user. There's all kinds of different tests and different experiments that you can do that would strengthen your evidence. And now where you want to focus, once you understand them on a spectrum of importance to least importance and no evidence to strong evidence, you want to focus on that area of things that are very important that have no evidence. And what you want to do is you want to take those hypotheses with no evidence, little to no evidence and high importance, and then you just kind of want to map them out, right? Think about, turn that assumption into a hypothesis statement hypothesis statement. Let's go back to the warm audience member. The question was, let's say that the question is, the, uh, what will have to be true? I would need to, my customer or the cold customer would have to perceive their problem as a problem, right? So let's turn it into a hypothesis statement. We believe that our customers think that XYZ is a problem. Okay. Next, think about all the different ways that you can test that hypothesis. There are several different ways. Think about like the, the strength of the evidence that, that your different testing method could provide versus the um, resources that you have available. This could be anywhere from doing a um, customer interview. Now, the thing about customer interviews is that they're really good to, uh, it's really good way to be able to interface with the customer. But what people, what customers say that they do and what they actually do or what they actually care about can be two, um, two different things. So while it gives you stronger evidence than no evidence, it's still not the strongest set of evidence. Another thing that you can do is there are, um, you know, uh, digital ad campaign tests, right? That's something that you can do to measure people's actual behavior. So that's a little bit stronger. Um, There are all these different kinds of tests that you can do. And so you want to figure out what the hypothesis is. What are the different kinds of tests that you can do? What's the metric or measure that you would do for that test to help you help indicate whether or not that hypothesis is, um, is 
rejected or, or accepted? And then what criteria um, do you have for that? Yeah, what, again, similar to, so what, how, what are you going to measure? And then what is the actual criteria for that measurement to tell you whether or not that's right? This is the scientific method, y'all. I mean, this is what they taught us in school, but you can literally apply this to your business and how you do these things. And this is how you start having that experimental approach. Now, what you can do once you have these, um, all these different experiments in play, you can map these out. Um, what I like to do is put these in somewhat of a combine as well. The columns that you have on this combine are the backlog of all the different experiments that you want to run for this hypothesis, right? Um, the setup. So what um, things go in the column for setup when you're setting up that experiment, then there's a run column, like are you which things are you running? And then um, a learning column to talk about and extract the learnings that you got from the experiment. And you really should be setting up and running one experiment at a time, especially if you're a team of one. And the other reason is because you don't want one experiment to be messing up the results of another experiment. And then this is what you do. Once you've run that experiment, whatever that is, uh, you want to go ahead and extract the learning. So some good things to ask yourself is say like, all right, restate, what's the, what's the hypothesis again? And then what did I observe? What did I observe during that experiment? What was the learning or insight that I got from that? So from that, what did we learn? And what is the decision? And this is a key part. And this is where it becomes a cycle, becomes a loop that you can continuously do over and over. You can go three different directions once you've done your test. You can decide to kill the idea, right? If, if the evidence shows that your idea just won't work or it's just not worth it, um, this is that point to go ahead and chop it up and call it a day and say, oh, well, we're probably not going to do that, do that thing. We're probably going to try something else or Go back to the nine to five, I guess, <laughs> you know, um, another thing you can do is pivot to a new idea, right? This is where you go back to ideation. Like I talk about a lot, um, before you're get before you, um, narrow down an idea, you have to narrow down, right? So you should have a bank of other ideas or other solutions that you can try out and throw at the wall. If not, it's not that hard to get back into the brainstorming mode to come up with several different ideas. And then after that, the third option is to continue testing. Say that you tested something, but you got some evidence, but you still feel like the evidence isn't strong. Do more tests, do more different kinds of tests to help strengthen that hypothesis. And that is honestly my, like, my idea of a, you know, um, chop wood, carry water kind of approach to take an experimental methodological approach um, to your business and the different parts within it. And you'll just keep doing that, right? So keep strengthening that hypothesis, pivoting, changing your ideas until you feel very strong. You got a pretty good churn rate for that section. Then you move on to the next section. And you just keep doing that and keep looping that and keep looping that until you have a really, really good understanding of what your customers want, what they need. And they're coming back. They're coming back. But and the thing is, is like this sounds like a lot of work. But like I said, you're doing like one experiment at a time. Right. 
it's not that hard to prioritize having one experiment happening while you're doing all this other stuff. For instance, I have a new offering that I'm putting out right now, and the experiment that I'm running right now is a, is a digital ad campaign experiment, seeing how many people are actually clicking the ad. I know what the industry standards should be for 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 the click-through rate. In this case, when you're looking that far ahead, you're, you're thinking about like click-through rate instead of um, churn rate because you know, click through, I don't know, well, turning a cold audience into a warm audience member is a lot harder than um, turning a, a current customer into a proceeding customer. But like, um, yeah, so looking at the churn, the, the click-through rate for, for my industry and seeing how my ads are performing against those ones. And if it's not performing well, then I'm like, there's a, you know, there's a few things I can do. I could drop the idea. I could say like, oh, this probably just isn't something that people want. Or I could say, oh, maybe my messaging isn't right. Like there's a lot of things I can learn from it. But that's my way. I'm how I'm just doing an experiment at a time to help get closer to that PMF. And I'm telling you all, this is a marathon, not a race. But by making a continuous practice of testing stuff out, you're going to learn a lot more about your customers and you're just going to increase your chances of getting that product market fit because what you're building over time is insight and that, and you're building insight that no one else is going to have because you're the one doing those tests. You're, you're learning like really this whole process is about learning. We talk about chopping wood and carrying water, like for, for the guy in the book, who was, um, you know, training to become an archery samurai, right? <laughs> like chopping that wood and carrying that water was strengthening his body, you know, was strengthening his body. This, well, what I'm talking about is strengthening your insight. So when you do get to that point where you finally do have that product market fit and you have all that kind of stuff and you can talk to, when you're out there finally talking to potential investors and stuff like that, and they ask you, why are you the person? Why are you the best person to, to, to solve this problem? Well, you can talk about that insight that you've gained over continuously, um, continuously uh, uh, with discipline, how you've been testing and experimenting with real users, with real customers to truly understand and gain that insight into what they need, but not only what they need, how they respond to it, um, and what will get them coming back. And that is the true essence of product market fit. <clears throat> Man, I should pour more water. This is a very nerdy episode. Um, but I hope y'all are following what I'm saying because like, like I said, this is, this is my hypothesis. But like, this is my hypothesis. But if it actually works, like this is a major key. <laughs> but then again, this is my hypothesis. So it probably won't work completely th that way. But this is what I'm testing right now. And I'll continue to let y'all know like how this is working. Because I'm trying this right now for, for, for a new offering that I'm putting out there. Just to see how the world responds to it. And how I can continue to get myself closer and closer to achieving that product market fit. But the key takeaway that I want you to get away from, get from this is that it's all about experimentation, not assuming that you're right, 
recognizing your assumptions and treating them like hypotheses and testing them. Um, it's a humble way of thinking and, uh, and it'll get you where you want to go a lot quicker. I know that at least from, from my, uh, from my experience in my field for the past decade. Like that's, that's how I work with all of my clients, but I've never tried to put it into a consistent cyclical process like how I'm trying to do it right now. But I, I'll let y'all know. I'll let y'all know how it goes. With that, um, let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what kinds of experiments you're doing in your business. I know I, I've heard of people doing pop-up shops for, for business ideas that they've had. You know, um, putting a landing page out there, you know, putting stuff out there in, fr in, in front of your audience on social media, seeing how they how they respond to it. How are you testing things? I even see like artists, music artists and stuff like that, you know, putting out snippets, putting stuff out there, out there and seeing how people are responding to it. I'm really curious how how is how are you utilizing that um, experimental approach for your business, for your products, for your services? Um, drop them in the comments. Uh, and with that, I'll leave y'all. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Peace.